Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. I'm your host, Frank Stamos, and with me, as always, my co-host, Ari, Ari Kalos. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Frank, I am super excited about today. I think the most excited I've been, not to say, you know, wine and drinking wine isn't exciting, but we we have some pretty cool guests today. Absolutely. I mean, we've been very fortunate. First of all, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of our fans out there. We, uh, we want to thank him for the support from this past year. You know, even though it's been a crazy ride, we've had so much to, to think about, so many challenges, but we're still thankful for the opportunities that 2020 did bring us, though. You know, we had to change gears and here we are, you know, pumping out podcasts versus doing events like we were used to before. But doing podcasts is awesome because we get, again, we get to talk to people as in our two guests today. And, you know, I am Boston born and bred. So one of these guys, <laughs> it's, a, it's an honor and, and amazing to, to have him here. I, I won't say any more, Frank, just continue. All right. As you said, Ari, it's an honor to bring on our guests, former, if I can say, former NFL quarterback and New England Patriot, only because we're from Boston <laughs> and currently the founder of Doubleback Winery. Uh, welcome Drew Bledsoe and his winemaker, Josh McDaniels. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to our show absolutely thanks for having us guys fun to be on with you and it's uh it is a crazy new world right josh and i we, we had uh we've had a couple opportunities to do some in-person wine events uh here in the last few months and i think josh made the comment it was kind of different for him to to uh present wine and actually be wearing pants for a change <laughs> uh, <which> I... <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's it's going to be tough getting back into the swing of things, I think, when this is all kind of blown over. But, you know, that's a good problem to have, I think. Uh, how yeah, do we, I am wearing oh, pants today, though. <laughs> We're going to have everybody stand up uh, just to make sure. But uh, how did that how did those live events go for you? Was it weird? Was it comfortable? Like, how did how did you feel? Well, um, I'll jump in first, Josh, and you can talk about it a little bit. But, you know, at first it was odd, you know, and and quite honestly, you know, if you told us a year ago that we were going to do Zoom wine tastings, I would have felt like we were just being lazy and we just didn't want to travel. Uh, but now but now this whole thing is, is, uh, has been so normalized. You know, it's, honestly, it's been pretty cool. You know, I've been able to uh, I actually did one uh, Zoom tasting uh, actually while I was playing golf, which was that was awesome. You know, it was, like, it was, like a, it was uh, uh, and it was actually it was during the time when there were no sports on television. And uh, so uh, the people that tuned in got to see some really bad golf while, uh, while we were doing a Zoom tasting. I don't know, Josh, what's it, what's your experience been with this stuff? You know, it's been good. Uh, the like, I'll echo Drew's comments. It's, it was really weird at first, but I have to say, it's it's been cool also to just to stay connected to uh, you know people on the East Coast and you know people in other areas that we don't get to travel to in a normal year. And so to have that diversity and the ease in in which to jump on a Zoom call and see people's faces, that part's been really nice. Yeah, and it, we're we're always talking about when COVID is kind of over done with and we could get back to normal. I think there's going to be elements of this Zoom thing that are going to stick around. It's like going in person is 100% going to be awesome. But like if I wanted to talk to Drew or, or to you, Josh, we're going to have to rely on Zoom regardless of what the situation is. So it's a pretty cool thing. And just imagine this last year without Zoom or without tech. Oh, my God. I don't even know what we would have done. Let's not think. Yeah, about no, let's not think about that stuff. Let's just, right. let's just talk. Let's get yeah. back to talking. Let's talk. Let's talk 
more. Let's talk more wine. That's more yeah, yeah. So, so Drew, uh, could you take us through the timeline for our audience of how this all started for you? Because it's a, in my opinion, it's a fascinating story, and I'd love for you to tell us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll try to be as brief as I can. But you know, I, I grew up in Walla Walla, and for anybody that's never been there, uh, it's just this beautiful little town, little Norman Rockwell painting of a town. You know, it really is. You know, when you when you're growing up in a place, you don't really recognize what it is. It, it took leaving and coming back to really understand how how magical the place is. Uh, it was a great place to grow up. I did not know that there was any wine happening whatsoever growing up. It was just not part of what we did at home. And I just didn't know it was, I, I think, and as a matter of fact, I think I, I graduated high school in 1990. And I think in 1990, there were only five wineries. So the wine industry was really in its super early infancy uh, when I was in high school, but went off to Washington State and then went back and then was was playing for the Patriots. And when I was playing ball, uh, we started to get into wine. Okay. Uh, my wife and I started to get into wine and there were surprising, there were a lot of dudes on the team that were into wine also. And the thing that was really magical for me, and this was really the inception of the, the concept of starting a winery in Walla Walla, I would have these guys come over to the house uh, and whenever they came over, it's like, hey, just bring a bottle of red wine. And so they would bring a bottle of red wine and we would do blind tastings at the house. We'd put all these wines in paper bags. Well, I would always go grab something from Walla Walla and put it in the lineup against these big boys from Napa and Bordeaux and other parts of the world. Well, we would taste through all these wines. And every time we did that, when we unveiled at the end, the winning wine was from Walla Walla. And this happened over and over and over again. Uh, and that's really when the seed was planted. Like, okay, maybe after this football odyssey is is over, we could get into the wine business, and we could do it in my hometown, and not just make wine, but potentially make wine that can stand up with the best in the world. Uh, and uh, so that's really where the seed was planted. My last year in ball was 2006, and we launched Doubleback in 2007. Quickly, and then I'm going to throw it to Josh real quick. Sure. The Doubleback name, people have wondered if that's a football term, and it's it's not. It's not a football term. People, you know, hey, you got. Quarterback, halfback, fullback, double back, right? Like, no, that's 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 not it. What we what we really wanted the story to be, rather than the story, you know, dumb jock starts winery. We wanted the the story to be, uh, you know, a small town kid who gets to have another career and then doubles back and comes back home. And so the double back name is uh, is is uh, talks to uh, the idea that I grew up there, went off and had this other thing, and then doubled back and came back home. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Josh, why don't you share these guys with these guys your story? It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty captivating story, also. Yeah. So I, you know, I got to grow up here in Walla Walla. Also, it was, uh, you know, like Drew said, it wasn't somewhere as a kid that I thought I'd stay after college. Uh, but certainly, the wine industry changed my my mind, and what the wine industry did to the valley was just absolutely incredible. And uh, so, I actually, I started my own winery when I was in high school. Got to work, grew up with the Figgins family here in Walla Walla. Uh, kind of the founding father of, you know, Washington wine on a qualitative level. So spent, you know, a decade working for Leonetti and Figgins and, and uh, got ingrained into my blood Cabernet, but fell in love early on actually with Sangiovese, mostly because it was the cheapest wine they made. So it was the only one I could afford. But, um, you know, I also, you know, got to grow up here as a kid and Drew Bledsoe was this, you know, mythical God figure that every young boy aspired to be. You know, there's a shrine in the entrance to the local gymnasium for Drew and uh, you know, I like to joke that he built himself and, and <laughs> I certainly subsidized it and don- donated lots of stuff, but, uh, yeah. it looks a lot like Josh's bedroom, you know, just a shrine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Drew is this, uh, you know, local hero for sure. And when I got into wine, it was, uh, interesting to me, you know, when Drew announced his retirement from the NFL, 
And uh, obviously I had followed his career and so did a lot of locals. And uh, my knee jerk reaction was great. You know, another celebrity athlete wine that's you know, going to slap his name on the bottle of really ripe Cabernet with 200% new oak and uh, <laughs> for 500 bucks a bottle. And the cool thing that happened was Drew was, I think, I really think you can give credit to Drew for breaking that stigma of what, you know, those celebrity wines were back in the late 1990s, mid 2000s. And uh, he came out, he uh, bought a piece of property, developed that property into a world-class vineyard, hired my longtime mentor, Chris Biggins, as a great winemaker, and then, you know, built a business based on the success of the wine quality. And, uh, you know, called it Double Back and built this, uh, you know, really kind of old world styled Cabernet. And it was something that I, you know, after over time fell in love with and, and uh, became a true believer and was really uh, happy and excited to take over back in the, uh, with the 2014 vintage. And is that, and is that the vintage that made it to Spectator 100? Actually, the very first vintage did. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, that 2007, our first vintage, yeah, we made the uh, Spectators Top 100 mm-hmm. list our first year, which was awfully nice of them. Uh, but I will tell you that, that uh, when uh, Josh took over in 2014, those ended up being the highest rated wines we'd made to that point, uh, which was kind of cool. Because he was, you know, Chris Figgins uh, is a great friend to both of us. Uh, and he, is, you know, at that point was kind of a rock star in the wine world. And Josh was the protege stepping in for the, uh, stepping in for the, uh, for his mentor and uh, for him to, release wines that uh that the, the critics uh gave our highest marks ever and, and his first vintage with his name on the bottle was a pretty cool moment that's awesome what is can you tell us what is it that makes walla walla so special as a wine producing area you know it's uh it's interesting you know people that have not spent time in the northwest uh northwestern united states but only see you know or hear what they uh what's uh, what's uh out there publicly when you think about uh washington oregon you think about rain you know you think about seattle it's just rains all the time. In Portland, rains all the time. Well, the reason that that happens is that there's the Cascade Mountain Range that runs down the middle of both of those states, and that is a, a rain trap for all this moisture that comes off the Pacific Pacific Ocean, comes in, hits those mountains, and all that moisture falls out. So, but when you get on the other side of the mountains, it's more of a desert climate, uh, and that's where we are. We're over on the dry side. Uh, so what we get is we get these long, hot summer days. Uh, in the middle of the summer, we actually get an hour more sunshine than they do in California. Uh, but then it still cools off really nicely at night. So that allows us to have longer hang time in the vineyard, allows us to develop good natural acidity in the in the grapes that we grow. Uh, and then you combine that with uh, with some really unique soil that you know I won't go complete geology nerd on you uh, oh, right now. But 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 it is but it is re- I got a really cool history. Uh, when I was growing up, we were famous for growing sweet onions. Uh, it turns out our our soil it's one of two places in the United States where you can grow sweet onions: Walla Walla, Washington, and Vidalia, Georgia. Georgia, oh. where you can uh, where you can grow sweet onions and and uh, that wasn't very cool by the way you know <laughs> onion wants to who wants to talk about hey yeah my hometown we grow great onions like oh that's really really cool congratulations <laughs> but uh, we've since uh, been able to prove that it uh, that that our soil is uh, uniquely suited to to growing uh, great wine grapes but it's also fantastically diverse uh within a small area josh why don't you talk about kind of some of the diversity we have in our estate vineyards even though they're in such close proximity yeah and you know in in every great wine growing region of the world you know you think about bordeaux think about the left bank you know there's all these basically sub appellations you know saint julian and margot and puyac etc uh same thing you know napa a small area but there's 
Bedford and Howell Mountain and Coombsville and et cetera. And uh, Walla Walla is no different. It's just younger. And so there's the Walla Walla Valley that's very a very small area, but there's also, uh, you know, our first sub-appellation was just designated a few years ago called the Rocks District. Okay. Um, over the you know next couple of decades, there could be another handful of sub-appellations that come along uh, just within the valley. And so, you know, what, what I got, you know, really fortunate with it growing up at Leonetti is they had vineyard sites for the state all over these different what will eventually be sub-AVAs. And so I got to understand the importance of having diversity in your cellar, you know, and as an example, a few this last decade, we had the warmest vintage on record and the coldest vintage on record. And how do you make a, a, you know, a consistently great wine with that much, you know, turbulence? Right. Uh, it ended up being just blending across uh, vineyard sites. Uh, you know, in cold years, I can lean out towards the southwest end of the valley. And in warm years, I can lean up towards the northeast. And so you get, you know, different soil sites. You go from sand to clay. You go from fractured basalt to rolled cobblestones. You go from four inches of annual precipitation to 23 inches of annual precipitation. And basically, you know, the joke that we like to use is, you know, when Bob Ross is on TV painting this picture, you know, we're building a color palette uh, in the cellar of these estate vineyard sites that, that we can take and then use that to go into blending trials and create, you know, complex wines and wines with consistent uh, high quality across, you know, different growing seasons. So it's just a really cool region to work with. I mean, the, the microclimate itself is interesting. The soil compositions is, you know, interesting. You know, a lot of folks who are now, you know, getting into wines from Washington, it's been in a category that's been overlooked for many years on the, at least, at least on the East coast for consumers. And we're also trying to encourage a lot of our members and our audience to really explore wines from Washington. And when they do come across a Cabernet from Washington, it's always this expectation because of their been so used to drinking cabs from California. What could you tell us or tell our guests, our audience about, you know, what is it about Washington cab that differentiates from California cab? You know, when we set out on to, to make double back, you know, as Josh indicated earlier, I think there, you know, when you think about a football player that's going to make wine. You know, where does your mind go? Well, oh, it's going to be just this massive wine. It's going to be one of these thick wines you can eat with a fork with 18% alcohol and super extracted and just in your face stuff. And quite honestly, those were the first wines that I fell in love with because they were obvious. You know, you go like, oh, I can taste all of that. It's right up front. But over time, um, you know, I, my palate started to gravitate toward wines that had more balance, more elegance, wines that you that were contemplative, that wines that were more interesting the more time you spent with them rather than, you know, I found some of those bigger wines that I fell in love with initially. The most interesting sip of those that style of wine was the very first one. And then after that, it was like, Less interesting. Well, the the wines I started to gravitate to were wines that got more interesting, and the last sip you had was the most interesting sip. Right. And thankfully, our valley lends itself to that. And if I had to pick one uh, one word that we strive for across the board, it's it would be balance. Um, you know, if you make a wine where everything is in harmony. Those are the wines that continue to be more and more interesting, both as they sit in the glass and also as they age over over the years. One of the things that we say that, you know, it's a marketing pitch, but it's actually also, I, I believe, the truth. The Walla Walla Valley captures the best of the new world and the best of the old world. Um, so you have pretty new world fruit like you might find in California, but you also have structure, balance, acid, 
that you would find in the old world, but you know, versus the old world wines, you don't have to wait 25 years uh, for them to be enjoyable while they settle down, you know, where we are. And that combination, um, I really think is a, a really magical thing that happens where you have wines, you know, we just, Josh and I were just drinking through some of the, uh, the brand new wines that are still in tank. We're just getting ready to bottle in a couple of weeks. And these wines are beautiful, even though they haven't gone into the bottle yet. There is structure, there is acid, but it, but they are still really pretty wines in their youth. And so it's a, it's a really great time and place to be in the wine industry. Um, and for your consumers out there, you talked about trying to steer them toward Walla Walla. It honestly, it kind of pisses us off, to be honest with you, because we're known, uh, we're, we're known as a great value wine region. You right. get more bang for your buck in, in Walla Walla, you know, at, at every price point, you know, for the scores that Josh has been able to create for, uh, for a double back. If we were in Napa or Bordeaux, the wines that get the similar scores are, in the case of Napa, you know, three to four times our price. And in Bordeaux, they might be 10 times our price to get the same scores that, that, that Josh is producing for us. So uh, it kind of pisses us off because we would much rather, you know, from a financial standpoint, we'd love to sell our wines for 500 bucks. But the great thing for the consumer is that if you see Walla Walla, um, you're going to get very, very high quality wine that's going to outperform other wines in that same price point across the board. That's that's exactly the message that we always love to promote to our members about value. And as you mentioned, we always feel that Washington and Walla Walla do deliver that value. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Hey, Josh, talk, talk a little bit about why you continue to gravitate toward Walla Walla Cabernet versus, versus other parts of the world. Yeah. You know, you hit the nail on the head with the perfect in-between, you know, and you look at Washington State. I was actually on a panel. Uh, we did a blind kind of Walla Walla against the world uh, Cabernet tasting. And there was a Red Mountain wine, uh, our Cabernet from Walla Walla, and then a California Napa Cab, which I think was Dominus. And then a left bank Bordeaux, I think it was Ponte Canet. And it was really cool because, you know, Red Mountain really gravitated towards towards uh, Napa. And uh, everyone guessed uh, Doubleback might be the Bordeaux. And uh, it was uh, Ponte Canet and Doubleback. And, um, you know, I think that's exactly the right thing that I love about it is that you get some of that great fruit that you get in Napa. But you also get hints of, you know, of uh, bell pepper. You get hints of tobacco leaves. Um, you know, I remember Gary Figgins on the crush pad when I was young. He said, you know, a little pyrazine never killed anyone. <laughs> and, uh, and, and to be honest, I love that about Bordeaux, but it's not over the top. Uh, aromatically. Um, but at the same time, you get that chewiness and the graininess of, of Bordeaux and left, those left bank gravels. Um, and you get that here in Walla Walla. And so, and the, you get it at, like Drew mentioned, we get about an hour of sunlight more during the summertime. And so we get ripe, but then in the fall, we cool off a lot faster than Napa. And so we kind of hit our ripeness levels. And then, you know, as a numbers basis, you know, our bricks are there, you know, the acids are there, but then you can hang out for a, a couple more weeks and basically get your flavor ripeness. And that's what I really love about uh, Washington State is you, you're not, pick, you know, down in Napa, you're picking in Cabernet in early September because it's so hot and the, the bricks are 32. And if you don't get it off, you're not going to finish ferments. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, basically up here, we're just waiting. We we have the, um, you know, in a good year, we have the, the luxury of waiting for flavors to get truly ripe. And then we can be natural winemakers in the cellars because the, the vineyards and the vintage gave us great flavors itself. And so I just, I love that about Walla Walla. Now we met, we talk, we're talking about value here. Besides Doubleback, you recently launched also 
Bledsoe wine portfolio? Is that something we can touch on? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of cool. And, and we've talked about this. The Bledsoe family winery was, was really created by customer demand. We originally, uh, there was one wine that went in there first. That was our stolen horse Syrah that we made back in 2009. We were only going to make it one year, kind of the, kind of a just for fun project. But the, the consumer demand was so strong that that we had to bring that one back. And then we started making our Bledsoe family wine, uh, which was essentially a place for uh, all this great wine that we were bringing in that just for whatever reason, stylistically didn't make it into the double back blend, uh, but was still great juice, still gets French oak, still gets the whole team's best efforts. Uh, but for whatever reason, stylistically didn't go into uh, into the double back blend. So we started releasing that wine and then, uh, you know, really started to talk about, okay, well, you know what, there's enough demand here. Maybe we should build another winery around uh, this wine. And then the other thing is that that winery allows us to do, they've called it lovingly the uh, winemaker's sandbox, if you will. You could, okay. Josh, get some other some other toys to play around with where, uh, you know, we make some rosé, we make some Chardonnay, and then we also get the uh, the uh, the ability to uh, release a couple of special club wines every year. Two years ago, uh, we included a little bit of Pinot Noir that we got from the Willamette Valley as a club wine and a little bit of single vineyard Syrah from, uh, from the Rocks District that Josh was talking about earlier. The response was so strong to those that we now have a third winery. It's called Bledsoe McDaniels that's based on those two wines. Uh, and there'll eventually be that we'll flesh out that portfolio. Uh, this year, we released a little bit of a little bit of Malbec and a little bit of Viognier uh, as club wines. And uh, the response certainly to the Malbec was strong enough that the, the consumer is probably going to demand that we bring that back and build a brand around that one, too. So it allows us to play around a little bit more. We're very, very protective of the double back brand. That is purely uh, an expression of the very best Cabernet we can make from our estate vineyards in the Walla Walla Valley every single year. And we never want to dilute that brand. That'll always be that. We make some other fun stuff. We make a little bit of double back Chardonnay. We make a little bit of double back Merlot. Uh, but that is really, it's just its just one brand and we never want to, to mess with that. But Bledsoe Family Winery allows us to uh, to be a little more ex- experiment experimental and and uh, do some other fun stuff. I will say though, uh, in saying that, I don't want anybody to ever have the impression that those wines don't get our team's best effort. Everything that Josh and the team make for us uh, gets their very best efforts, and they make a, a, amazing wines for us across the board. So even though they're you know a little bit lower price wines, um, and there, there are more of them, none of it is half-hearted. Uh, all of it gets gets the the full attention of Josh and the entire team. Well, we're we're big fans of both portfolios. Um, great job to what you're doing. And one thing we want to definitely mention to our audience is that all of your estates are sustainably farmed. Well, Josh, why don't you talk about that? Because sustainability to us um, has you know a specific meaning in the vineyards, but it also has some uh, some broader meaning. Josh, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, you know, sustainable farming is just that. It's farming, um, but it's also community. It's also, um, you know, environmental. Um, the farming aspect of it goes a long way. So we, we don't use any uh, Roundup on our vineyards. You know, we have biodiversity plantings. So we have rows of lavender. We have uh, wildflower mixes. We have uh, native rose bushes. We have a lot of trees planted around our vineyards that in it encourages beneficial organisms basically to, to fight off bad ones so it's natural instead of having to go in and use sprays to kill things off. Um, so, the you know, also, you know, a, a really cool one that's so visual is we, you know, we alternate row crop our mowing. And so, you know, you think about just that one simple act 
cuts down soil compaction and diesel usage by 50%. You know, it's, it's simple minded things that are very pragmatic and make big differences in what our environmental impact is and the, you know, the quality and the, the organic side of what goes into the bottle. At the same time, though, you know, like two years ago, we started our own farming company that manages our own estate vineyards. And a big part of uh, our sustainable uh, certification means that, you know, our, our vineyard crew is, uh, you know, one of the highest paid crews in the valley. Uh, we take care of them like family. Uh, they have full uh, retirement benefits, full health insurance, and we keep them on uh, all year. So rather than, you know, being laid off after nine months of farming and saying, you know, go find something else to do, we keep them busy here in the winery. You know, you've probably seen our packaging. Um, all that's done by hand by our vineyard crew. And, you know, it's, it's a really good feel-good thing because it's the right thing to do. The cool thing that was not intentional and we, we found after the fact that we started this, it's actually boosted our quality too because, you know, in the past we had crews would come in on a contracted basis and do the work and kind of just do the work and get it done. But our crew now takes so much pride in each individual vine in our vineyard and just absolutely love what they do and just have taken the quality to a next level. So the sustainable farming um, is a huge part of what we do and something that's been extremely important to us. And, and it's been, uh, I think, you know, successful beyond what we thought it would be. And it's a really cool thing to be able to say. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We're big fans of those that practice sustainable farming because, you know, it goes a long way as far as you know, the type of consumer we are today. You know, we always want to be very cautious about what we put into our bodies, right? But uh, anything that you want to share that's in the pipeline that, that we haven't covered uh, for Double Back? You know, I, I think we've kind of touched on the things that are, that are, uh, that are uh, you know, available um, yeah. out there. I do encourage people, we, we make a little bit uh, of uh, a state reserve uh, every year, just a few barrels. And this is because we now are making enough wine. We, you know, it allows us, as Josh was talking about, that palate that he's able to, to create for us to blend from. Uh, we also track, you know, a few barrels every year that we think are performing particularly uniquely well. And, and uh, uh, that goes into our state reserve. Uh, but it's super, li- super limited, generally just goes out to our uh, to our list and to our, uh, our VIPs. But if you're uh, if you're pursuing the uh, the very, very best of the best of what we do, that estate reserve is is what you're pursuing. Not much of it makes it to distribution. So not very nice of me to talk about that with you, uh, <laughs> with your with your with your wine shop. But uh, but it is a pretty cool wine that uh that's a lot of fun to present awesome well we'll have to take a trip to the winery then to get some we would that would be that. the la- that would be the last thing i would say to you guys uh, specifically <laughs> and also to your consumers out there is when when we're able to travel again please come see us in walla walla Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I am batting a thousand every time i've recommended walla walla to somebody and they come out to the valley uh, it becomes their favorite wine region in the United States very, very quickly. The way I've described it, and I've actually talked to people that grew up in Napa, and, and they've echoed this and said this is actually the truth. If you want to know what uh, the Napa Valley felt like 40 or 50 years ago, you come to Walla Walla. It's still very much in its youth. There are amazing wines, 150-ish uh, wineries uh, in the valley, and a lot of those making really amazing stuff. The food scene has followed, so there's great food as well. We've only lost one of our restaurants, I think, and hopefully, knock on wood, the rest of them survive. But the cool thing is you get this amazing wine, great food, cool little town. But when you pull in and park uh, in downtown, there there might be a Tesla parked next to you on one side, but on the other side, uh, there's a dirty old pickup truck, and that's the (laughs) farmer. 
And, uh, you know, you got to be careful, too, because the dirty old pickup truck, that farmer's probably got more money than the guy driving the Tesla. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he's got a lot of dirt on his boots because he was out in the vineyard that day. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, this is this has been a treat for us, um, Drew and Josh. Um, we definitely appreciate um, listening to the both of you. Uh, we we want to definitely bring this uh, interview to our guests so they can appreciate more about Walla Walla, Double Back, and so forth. Those that want to learn more about the winery do you want to announce the web address any social media handles that you want to let us know about yeah that's pretty simple you know if you're looking for the web address if you just i mean honestly if you just type bledsoe wine into the search bar it's going to pull it up but uh the the landing page for for all three wineries is uh it's bledsoe wine estates we have a live shopping cart on the bledsoe uh bledsoe family winery site and then the uh the social media handles should just you know at double back at bledsoe family winery those are pretty those are pretty straightforward as well excellent are any last minute questions for Drew or Josh? Yeah, I, I love these types of interviews where, you know, I was already sold on everything you guys do just from past experience, from reading, from whatever. But I love the interviews where after we're done with the interview, it really, really solidifies, you know, the impact that you guys have and the knowledge that you guys have. And it's just it's just one of those things where I, I can't wait to get this published so uh, everybody out there who doesn't know can really hear it from you guys. And to me, it, it's amazing what you guys have been doing and we appreciate it and we appreciate your time and we appreciate that you are on with us. It, it was a great, great thing that you guys did. Thank we're, you. We're definitely going to have you back at some point again soon. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Like I say, we're, 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 uh, we're loving doing this stuff so uh anytime we can jump on it'd be great yeah it's uh it's been a really it's been really a pretty amazing project it's kind of funny with with all the with a lot of the some of the repurposed time that we had this year uh with the team of you know all the events canceled and all of that stuff you know first of all our team just rocked it they did a great job no no complaints they did they uh they they nailed it but we also were able to do a pretty deep dive into our business and it's funny we're what 13 coming up on 14 years in and we feel like we're just sort of getting going, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, we're sort of just now exiting the startup phase of our business after 14 years, which is really pretty crazy. But the, uh, the, uh, one of the things that's most exciting to me that should be exciting to the consumers out there is that, you know, Josh and the team have made these amazing wines for us all the way up to this point. And I never want this to be insulting in any way to the wines that they've made us uh, to this point, but our best wines are still in front of us. You know, Josh talking about our farming crew and the attention to detail they're, they're, they're paying there. We've got our own winery that we, that we moved into in 2018. So we, the team has total control there. And uh, like I say, we just went and pulled uh, samples out of the tanks, stuff that hasn't even been bottled yet. And uh, man, across the board, just outstanding wine. So follow what we're doing and Absolutely. just know that whatever, you, whatever you've had so far from us, hopefully you really loved it. Uh, but we're continuing to, uh, to get better and we're striving to get better in every way. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for the time. Ari, thanks again for uh, co-hosting as always. Oh, man, I, w I was looking forward to this one and it, it, it was just as good as I thought it would be. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Josh. Uh, thanks, All right, cheers, guys. All right, guys. Uh, we want to thank everybody out there for listening and watching. Uh, this is going to be posted. We're going to have all the info for the winery and for the wines posted as well. And we want to thank everybody out there. And again, very much thank you to Drew Bledsoe and Josh McDaniels. Thanks, guys. You guys are doing great things, and we're going to see more great things, and I can't wait. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Thank cheers. You. cheers. Take care.